back everyone to Diary of an Empath. Really quick before we get started in today's episode, I just want to let you guys know that I'm going to be doing a ritual on Friday the 13th, which if you're listening on the release date of this episode, that's likely tonight. I still have about 29 spots available. The cost is $15. I'm going to be focusing on healing and protection. So if you're interested in doing it, head to my website in the link notes and it'll take you exactly where you need to go to book. Okay, so let's get straight into today's episode. It's 2023. Happy New Year. We made it to another year. Thank God. It's been a crazy ride. I feel like a lot of us are starting to feel shifts of trying to find our purpose and trying to get really connected with our spirituality and to get away from the bad habits that we've created for ourselves and to create good habits, to focus more on our health, to focus more on being the best version of ourselves. So today's episode, I want to talk about how to break habits for good, because we all have them, good, bad, the ugly, I have them, you have them, our mama's got them, everyone's got bad habits. Every year, millions of people set New Year's resolutions, and many give up on them within the first week. So how effective are New Year's resolutions and what do the people that set goals and achieve them do differently from everyone else? So with those questions in mind, I wanted to do this episode to focus on New Year's resolution goals, habits, how we can change them for good. A lot of today's discussion is going to be based on a lot of the research that was done by James Clear, who's the author of the book Atomic Habits. If you have not read that book, I highly recommend it. I was looking at some of the stats And I was astounded that 38.5% of U.S. adults set New Year's resolutions every single year. And 59% of young adults between age 18 and 34 have a New Year's resolution, which makes it the largest demographic that sets these goals. And most of you that listen to my podcast are within this demographic. So I might be talking to you right now. 48% want to exercise more, making it the most popular New Year's resolution. The top three are all health-related. 23% quit in the first week. And only 36% make it past the first month. And lastly, 9% successfully keep their New Year's resolutions. So that means out of the 38.5% of U.S. adults that set New Year's resolutions every year, only 9% successfully keep up their resolutions. So I want to dive into why that is and how we can change those habit loops. But first, let's talk about some of the common New Year's resolutions. So like I mentioned, health-related topics are the most common New Year's resolutions among all genders. Exercising more, eating healthier, and losing weight are the top three. 48% want to exercise more, making it the most popular. Health-related resolutions cover the top three, and a Swiss study found that 70% of all resolutions relate to physical health. Men and women share the same top four most popular New Year's resolutions, according to study under the Brits. Women focus slightly more on health-related topics than men in the UK, specifically regarding to losing weight, 44% versus 34%. I couldn't find the stats for the US. Men focus more on pursuing their career ambition or cutting down on drinking compared to women that are 16% and 11% respectively. And men who are trying to cut down on that are 23% and 19% for the drinking. COVID-19 impacted the type of resolutions for seven 
75% of the people who set them. After COVID-19, they focused more on mental health, eating healthier, and their finances. And I feel like that's really interesting because we did see a shift when COVID happened. The world stopped for the first time and we really started to look at our lives and our relationships and what we were doing, our purpose. Is this what we really want? For the first time, we were turned off without distractions. And when you're turned off without distractions, it forces you to go inward. It forces you to actually think. You're not distracted by everything else going on in your life. So I feel like COVID really shifted the world, not just a couple people, but different dynamics, different cultures, how we view relationships, how we view our careers. So I found that very interesting that a lot of people started changing their New Year's resolutions once COVID happened. So the science of habits, let's talk about how habits work. So the process of building a habit can be divided into simple steps. And again, I'm going to be going back to James Clear's framework and what he talks about in his book, Atomic Habits. Now, he talks about that there is four simple steps, cue, craving, response, and reward. Now, breaking it down to these fundamental parts can help us understand what a habit is, how it works, and then what we can do to improve it. So there's four stages in the same order. Again, cue, craving, response, and reward. So first, let's talk about the cue. The cue triggers your brain to initiate a habit. It's a bit of like information. It predicts a reward. This even goes back to our prehistoric days. If you think about our time on the savannah before anything existed in terms of technology, we had to use cues that would predict rewards in order to survive. Primary rewards like food, water, sex for reproduction. Now today we have a lot of technology. So our cues have now changed. It's social media. It predicts secondary rewards like money, fame, power, status, praise, approval, love, friendship, likes, comments, all of that stuff that predicts it. So your mind, the brain is a phenomenal part of our body. It continuously analyzes our internal and external environment for hints of where rewards are located, even if you don't realize that your brain is doing it, because the cue is the first indication that we're close to a reward. It naturally leads to a craving. Now, cravings, that's the second step of the habit loop, and that's the motivational force behind each habit. We can't have habits without some type of reward, and we crave the reward. So without some level of motivation or desire, without craving a change, we have no reason to act. So what you crave is not the habit, but it's the change in the state that it delivers. So for example, if you are a smoker, you're not craving the cigarette. It's not the cigarette that you're craving. It's the reward that you get with how you feel afterwards. How does the cigarette make you feel? It, it de-stresses you. It makes you feel calm. That is what you're craving. You're not craving the actual drink that you're drinking. You are craving the reward of what it feels like after you drink the alcohol. The third step is the response. So this is the actual habit you perform, whether it's smoking the cigarette, drinking the alcohol, and this can take the form of a thought or an action. Now, whether a response occurs is going to depend on how motivated you are and how much friction is associated with the behavior, meaning how hard is it to do? How much effort does it take to do it? Because if there is an action that requires more physical or mental effort than you are willing to expend, 
then you most likely won't do it. And we're going to get to that in a second because that's part of breaking a habit is making it difficult to do, especially if it's a bad habit, because if it's too difficult, the likelihood of you following through with it is smaller. Now, your response is also going to depend on your ability. So for example, like if you want to become, I don't know, the best basketball player there is and you want to dunk, okay, that's great. But if you're five foot one, the likelihood of you doing it is, well, it's slim to none. So it's got to be something that's achievable for you. Now, finally, we're going to talk about the response. The response delivers a reward. So you drinking the glass of wine makes you feel relaxed. You smoking the cigarette puts you at ease. That's the reward. The reward, that's at the end of the goal of every habit. The cue is about noticing the reward. The craving is about wanting the reward. And the response is about obtaining the reward. We chase rewards because they serve two purposes. They satisfy us and then they teach us. Because remember, our brain is very smart. Our brain is teaching us how to survive. Now, the first purpose of a reward is to satisfy your craving. They have their own benefits, food and water, energy to survive, et cetera, et cetera. Getting a promotion brings you more money, brings you more respect. Getting in shape improves your health, improves your dating prospects. It helps you get that man, helps you get that woman. But the more immediate benefit is that the reward satisfies your craving to eat or to gain status or to win approval. At least for a moment, the reward delivers the contentment and the relief from the craving. Secondly, the rewards teach us that our actions are worth remembering for the future. Remember, our brain is always scanning the environment with how to survive. And the more that we become better at things or the more status we get, the more likelihood we are going to survive. So as you go about your day to day, your sensory nervous system is continuously monitoring the actions to satisfy your desires and deliver pleasure. Because feelings of pleasure and disappointment are part of the feedback mechanism that helps your brain distinguish useful actions from useless ones. So rewards close the feedback loop and then it completes the habit cycle. When you are doing something that's a habit, part of your brain, these studies show, shuts off. It literally becomes almost robotic that you don't even have to activate certain parts of the brain anymore because it becomes a habit loop. This is for survival. This is a way that our brain survives. This is a way that we have operated for centuries. Now, according to James, if a behavior is insufficient in any of the four stages that we talked about earlier, it will not become a habit. So if you eliminate the cue and your habit will never start, if you reduce the craving, you won't experience enough motivation to act. If you make the behavior difficult, you won't be able to do it. And if the reward fails to satisfy your desire, then you're going to have no reason to do it again in the future. So without the first three steps, a behavior will not occur. And then without the four, a behavior will not be repeated. Okay, so that was a lot of information. Let's just give some examples of what that can look like. So let's talk about our phones. We all have them. So your phone gets a notification or it gets a new text message. That's the cue. The craving is you want to learn what the message is. You want to know what the notification is. That's the craving. Now, the response is that you grab your phone. You check the message. You check Instagram. You check your TikTok. And the reward is that you satisfy your craving to read the message because you grabbed your phone and it becomes associated with your phone buzzing. Let's give another example. Let's say you wake up. That's your cue. 
the craving is you want to feel alert. You're tired. You just woke up from sleeping. Maybe you didn't get enough sleep. The response, you drink a cup of coffee. So you're responding to the fact that you're craving to feel alert. So you're responding by drinking a cup of coffee. And the reward is that you satisfy your craving to feel alert. You're drinking coffee and now it becomes associated with waking up. You have now created a habit. Let's give another example. Let's say, let's say you're answering emails. All right, that's the cue. The craving is you will begin to feel stressed and overwhelmed by work and you want to feel in control. You see 200 emails and you're starting to get stressed out. You want to feel like you're in control. The response is you start biting your nails. The reward is you're satisfying the craving to reduce stress by biting your nails. And now it becomes associated with your emails. So this is, again, how we create that habit loop. So where do we go from here? So we can transform those four steps into a practical framework that we can use to design good habits and eliminate the bad ones. Because remember, we can do the same things to eliminate bad ones and also create good ones. Now, James, in his book, he refers to the framework as the four laws of behavior change. And it provides a simple set of rules for how to create good habits and eliminate the bad ones for good. So the first law that he talks about is the cue. This is how to create a good habit. You have to make it obvious. The second law is the craving. You have to make it attractive. The third law is the response. You have to make it easy. The fourth law, the reward, you have to make it satisfying. So cue, craving, response, reward. You have to make it obvious. The craving has to be attractive. The response has to be easy and the reward has to be satisfying. So you can't have a reward that that you don't like. Otherwise, you're not going to do it. The cue's got to be obvious. You have to make the craving attractive. You have to want it and you have to make it easy. You can't make it something difficult because the more difficult it is, the less likely you are to follow through with it. Now, when you're looking at bad habits, same thing, cue, craving, response, reward, when you're trying to break a bad habit, you need to make it invisible. So for example, if you're trying to break the habit of checking your phone, you don't want to have the phone in the room. You want to make it somewhere where it's not accessible. You can't see it. The craving, make it unattractive. Now, you can do many ways of making this unattractive, but maybe you put it in a box and you get shocked every time you pick up the phone. You know, that's just an example, but you have to make it unattractive. The response, you have to make it difficult. So maybe by putting your phone in a locked box with a timer makes it more difficult to access your phone. You have to go through all of this. You got to put in a code. You have to do all of this stuff to put in a password. So it's not as easy to access it. And then the fourth is the reward. You have to make the reward unsatisfying. So by not accessing your phone, you're becoming stressed. So there's no reward system there. So let's talk about an example of what it would look like if you're trying to create a good habit. So we're going into the new year since a lot of people have a lot of resolutions for health and wellness. How can you utilize making a good habit with the cue craving response reward system? So the first law is the cue. So we have to make it obvious. So perhaps making it obvious can be putting out your running shoes in plain sight, putting out the clothes that you're going to wear to the gym in plain sight. It's obvious. It's there. You're seeing it. Now that's cueing you to say, I have to go to the gym. I already put that intention the night before. I see it. That's my cue. 
The second law is the craving. You have to make it attractive. So maybe making it attractive is picking out a cute outfit, feeling good with what you're wearing, loving how you're looking when you're wearing these gym clothes. The third law is the response. You have to make it easy. So laying those clothes out, it's easily accessible. You don't have to rummage through anything. Everything is ready for you in the morning. Maybe it's having everything done ahead of time, your gym bag packed, your gym clothes ready. Everything that you need for work is already ready and laid out. You have to make it easy because if you wake up and these things are not done and you have to do all of these other things before you go to the gym, you're less likely to follow through with it. So you have to make it easy. You have to make it accessible. And the fourth law, the reward, you have to make it satisfying. So you have to like what you're doing. So maybe you can pick a workout that you enjoy doing, whether it's Zumba or dancing, or maybe it's lifting weights, something that you enjoy and that you get love out of doing, that you get joy out of doing. If you're not someone who likes running, then don't run. Pick something that's more accessible to you, something that you enjoy more of, because not I hate running. So the 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 chances of me actually getting up in the morning and going for a five mile run, let alone a half a mile run are zim to none. I'm not doing that shit. I am not a runner. I did that shit in the Marine Corps. I'm not doing that anymore. So it's got to be something I enjoy. I love Tahitian dancing. I am a Polynesian dancer. I love doing it. So that's my reward. I like the way that I feel when I'm dancing. I love the camaraderie. I love the culture. That's my reward. And I like the way that I look when I'm dancing. I like the way that I feel when I'm dancing. Same thing when I'm lifting weights. I love the way that I feel powerful. That's my reward. My dopamine is is getting cued. My serotonin is getting cued. So you have to pick something that you enjoy doing. Because again, if you're just going to the gym and you're like, fuck, I got to do five miles on the treadmill because I got to lose 10 pounds, you're less likely to follow through with it. And the likelihood that you don't follow through with your New Year's resolution of keeping that habit is slim to none. There has to be a reward system. Every habit is linked with these four steps and is linked with the reward. Now, if your reward is, if you're trying to break a bad habit and your reward is feeling less stressed, maybe you can switch that reward instead of having a drink at the end of the night, maybe you reward yourself with a book. Instead of watching Netflix at night to wind down and that's your reward, maybe you wind down with a bath. So you have to switch the reward system out. You can't just eliminate it because if you eliminate it, you're not going to make it a habit. So you have to make sure that you're switching these things out if you're trying to eliminate a bad habit with a good one. It is possible, but following these steps and based off of the research that not just James Clear that has done this, but many other researchers that have researched habits and how they form and how to break them always goes back to these four things. And the the thing about habits is they're never gone. These habits are always going to be there. And even the bad habits, they're still there. You just have to actively always replace them with other things. Because if you don't, you will go back to the old habits. There was tons of studies that were done on mice that showed that even when a mouse picked up a different habit loop, If that was taken away, that cue or that response system, they ultimately would go back to the same habits that they formed before. So it's really important that you continue this habit loop and you have to do it with intention. Otherwise, you're more likely to go back to the same habits that you are used to because it is embedded in our brains. The old saying of it takes 30 days to form a habit, we've also seen that that's not necessarily true. 
habits form in different time frames with different people. There are some people that can pick up a habit in 30 days, some 60 days, some six months, and some a full year. So everybody's going to work differently when it comes to habit formation. And there are going to be times that you slip up. It's going to happen, but it's important that you stay consistent. If you find that you slipped up one or two days, that's okay. Just get back on the bandwagon of what you were doing before. It's going to happen. Like my my goal for this year is to get up at the same time consistently every day. I have struggled with sleep for the longest time with an inconsistent sleep schedule as well as morning meditation. So now the habit loop that I'm trying to create is that I get up in the morning, I'm tired, yes, but instead of going for the cup of coffee, I go for sunlight. And during that time, I'm meditating and I'm journaling. So that's my, so my cue is the alarm clock, the sun, it's waking me up. My craving is to feel alert. And so now that trigger, that craving that's creating the response is I'm going outside and getting sunlight, I'm meditating and I'm journaling and I'm grounding. And the reward that I'm getting is I'm feeling more alert when I'm doing that. I feel more grounded and I feel more joyful for the day. That's my new reward system. So I don't even always have to go for the cup of coffee, although I still do drink my coffee, but I'm changing those habit loops and those habit formations, not to mention that sunlight shows so there's so much feedback and so much studies that shows that sunlight is good for hormones, it's good for the body, it's good for our circadian rhythm. So I always suggest that. So I hope that all of you are able to take some something that you want to do, implement it and take whatever bad habits that you currently have and implement them out of your life. I highly recommend the book Atomic Habits by James Clear for everyone to read. I think that anyone who is trying to make any changes in their life should read this book. I hope that you guys got some good information from this. And again, I can't take full credit for this because all of this information has been researched and I am just the one passing it along to all of you. So I always, always thank all of you for just continuing to support the show and for sending me the messages when, you know, you tell me that this is helping you. It means so much to me. If you don't follow me on Instagram um, or TikTok, please click the links below. Follow me because I always post different things on there as well. And once again, thank you, thank you, thank you. And see you on the next episode of Diary of an Empath.